you'd like to contact the show, send us an email at liveonfourlightspodcast at gmail.com or get involved in the conversation on social media. Join the Pearl Jam Podcast community group on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at Live on Four Lights Pod. You know, I'm not upset when it's uh, the music and it's us and it's you. There's nothing wrong there. And away we go. You're listening to Live on Four Legs, the live Pearl Jam podcast experience featuring... Mr. Stone Gossett! Four Legs, a definitive live Pearl Jam podcast, and we have a pretty great episode prepared for you today. We have on Clint Brownlee, and he just put out the 33 and the third book about verses, and it's a fantastic read. If you love the album and you want to know every single bit of detail of what went into verses and what their mindset was in verses, and, and to me, verses and vitality, when it comes to stories, those two are it. So Randy Sobel over here, John Farrar over there. Hello. Hello to you for for a second. But uh, yeah, what'd you, what'd you think of this book? It's, uh, yeah, it's great. I mean, like, you, you just can't get enough of this this stuff from the early era, right? Like, versus especially because things were changing so fast for them. You know, we've, we've done a few of these, like, 93, 94 shows. It's, things were changing so fast. Like, this, this day that the show we're going to talk about today, like, so many things happened, like, on this day like things were just happening week to week things were changing so fast and and i like the way the the book is set up like you know the band versus fame versus the world versus themselves versus the future like it's it's divided up really well it's not just like uh like track one track two track three here we go like it's 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 kind of a really interesting way that it's broken up and, and talked about and kind of the way the songs are kind of grouped together is is interesting so yeah i think it's i think it's going to be great to have him on let's get to it well all questions are directed right towards Clint Bradley and welcome on Clint. Uh, thanks for doing this. And uh, since, since the book has come out, like how is your, and this is an interesting time to put out a book because everybody's, everybody's looking for something to do. They're looking for new content. So what, why verses? why was this the one out of all of either Pearl Jam's albums or even just albums and music in general that you wanted to focus in narrowly on this one? You know, Pearl Jam has been, you know, my my band essentially since I was a teenager and love lots of other music, of course, and have and widened my musical interests as I've gotten older. But uh, when 
I really started thinking seriously about this idea of, of pitching one of these books. I was like, well, I mean, I, I can't really look at anybody other than Pearl Jam. That's kind of where it all started for me. So um, I, I pretty much knew I was going to stick with them. And then uh, versus for me, it, you know, I've never really been able to answer the question, well, what's your favorite Pearl Jam album? I, it's impossible. Yeah, your favorite Pearl Jam song. I don't really have one that stays the same all the time. Um, but I felt like Versus was the album for them that sort of set everything up for what they've done since then. You know, I think a lot of fans point at um, Vitalogy as the one that really showed uh, that they were going to do their own thing. And it was also in the midst of, you know, sort of internal turmoil and things falling apart for them. But uh, that was happening with Versus already. And uh, the pressure was higher. And I felt like this record just kind of showed how they weren't going to let it destroy them and and pointed out where they were going to go in the future. How long did you work on the book? What was the process like? It was, man, it's kind of weird now because I was just looking at the proposal and it was in... Uh, late 2018. So it's been okay. a while. Um, but yeah, I, I spent, uh, I don't know, a good year uh, the writing process. I've never been accused of being a fast writer, but you know, it was also a lot of research and reading and reaching out to people and, and waiting and waiting and waiting uh, and that kind of thing. But, uh, and then, you know, the, the editing process and working with the publisher and everything. So it, it took, man, like a year and a half or so before it was like, okay, it's it's ready. And now it's waiting to be produced and released and stuff. So yeah, it was kind of a long process. There's a difference of opinion, it feels like, going back 27 years and listening to the record when it first came out and kind of gathering in these songs and taking in Go and Animal to start a record and then Rearview Mirror a little bit later and then finishing off with Indifference. When you kept doing this deep dive and kept researching it, what did anything change for you, like whether it's as a fan or as just kind of a, a content writer, was there anything that within the album sort of you were like, whoa, I never I never noticed that before. I never realized that. What kind of perk to you? Interesting. Um, yeah, you know, the I felt like I knew a lot about the record, um, but the more I researched it and looked into it, the the thing that really kind of grabbed me and still does is that like you said 27 years ago they were already thinking about very you know significant uh social issues and they had big ideas you know specifically better he wrote all the lyrics here um they just had these very big responsible ideas in mind and applied them very specifically across this record and uh, just kind of delving into that was really cool to see that, you know, it's not, it wasn't by accident that they talked about all the issues that, that, that are spoken to in these, these songs. Um, so that was just cool to see that that existed so far back in their history. And they, you know, they've done that sort of thing ever since 
if anything, becoming more um, obvious and on the nose about it as time's gone on. Sure. I, I don't think back in 1993, you, you kind of blink an eye at a song like WMA or, or Glorified G, but now they're they're more relevant than those songs have ever been, it feels. Yeah, yeah. really strange and, you know, unfortunate. But uh, in the same respect, it's it's kind of cool that they were already they were already there. They're ahead of the game and, and you know, going to, to Gigaton here, even like ahead of the game, thinking about the future of climate and thinking about uh, what what life will be like, kind of, you know, if, if we continue on this path. And, and this could be like a clairvoyant foretelling of, of what the future could be. I don't like yeah. using that word, but I did because <laughs> it, it made sense connection wise. But Yeah, yeah, I got gotcha. you. I mentioned uh, like you kind of group up the songs for the different chapters. Was, was that an easy process, or did you go through a few rounds on that? How how what was that like grouping the the songs on the record together to kind of fit the different you know the different verses chapters? Yeah, that's that's cool. I'm I'm glad you mentioned it. It was just by the time I started working on this, I had read a bunch of them, and it seemed like you know there's not a formula. I don't think to the series, but what does seem pretty common is it's just like you said, well, here's the first track and all about it. And then the second, and then, and, you know, just kind of walking sequentially through the record. And I was like, I don't want to do that. That's just, I don't know. That doesn't say a lot to me. Um, so I was trying to come at it more thematically and uh, you know, the kinds of things that they were either trying to address in songs or trying to address as a band on, on their own at the time. And I had the section ideas pretty pretty uh, close after deciding to do this and but it was some of the songs I wasn't sure you know where do they fit and can I really make this work but uh, the more I um, you know spend time with it it just seemed like oh okay some of these songs really do fit and these under these sort of uh, thematic umbrellas so I felt like it worked out I, I hopefully it did cool yeah I think yeah, it does I, I absolutely think it does you know I think the themes in there uh, especially the chapter where you you put animal and rats and and blood, I believe, together, and kind of talked about them. It, the, the five against one theme is so relevant it, throughout the whole entire album. It almost has a couple of different identities to it. It could be about abuse. It could be about struggling with fame. You know, you touched up on a couple of those things too. With what the band was kind of going through at the time, like, it, it, do you think? I mean, this album was just sort of right on the nose for it you have you know a band that's that's struggling with their identity essentially and and while they want to be famous they they don't kind of want the repercussions of the fame they just want people to enjoy their music so it's interesting and and you did a really good job of balancing the struggle between that i had a conversation recently with um somebody in the in the pearl jam camp and um they were talking about how they were in the the van or bus, whatever it was at the time when the band first found out that versus, you know, almost sold a million copies in the first, whatever it was week. And there was like no reaction to that, right? Well, they were not exactly happy about it. It was, it was a negative reaction. And, uh, and I'd heard that story before, but never, you know, directly from someone and it was just like, man, that's just weird paradox of sorts. There they were making this record and they actively tried to make it not as catchy as it could have been. And then it, you know, blew up 
and set records and they you know they had to be happy because they made a record but to have that negative reaction to its success is just a really interesting idea yeah that's the it's in the pearl jam 20 book i think tim bierman talks about he had gone down i think it was the day of the show that we're going to talk about today was the day that they found out on the way that they had sold a million copies in the first week and there was just kind of like awkward silence and they like i think jeff does a quote of something like we just didn't know what how to even process that yeah 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 i don't know it's uh what a weird place to be you know were you one of those million people do you have a, a personal memory of like getting this record and listening to it for the first time yeah um i yeah it was kind of cool i wrote a little piece on the the publisher's site about that um this uh, record, like, I don't even know the last time I did the whole midnight um, listening party, you know, buy the record. is the no, yeah. minute. That used to be a big thing. Yeah. But uh, so I, I lived in this little town in, in Northern California and, and had to drive to the neighboring town, uh, the Tower Records there, because they were doing the, the Versus release. And, uh, you know, I just went over there by myself and I hung out and waited in line and, and bought the record as it, you know, they're blasting it on all the, the PA speakers through tower records. And it, yeah, it was super cool. It was, I, I still remember that, you know, they were giving free posters away and uh, everybody's happy of course. And yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was fun. You would think that this time, especially for the band would be just like, they're about to erupt. They're about to get bigger than even than they were when when 10 came out it's just building and building and building and and we're about to talk about this show here and and this is great i i I love the tie-in that you had with this show san francisco october 28th this year 1993 this is right right smack dab in the middle of all this versus comes out on the 26th they have a surprise show at the off-ramp then they have a surprise show at the catalyst in santa cruz and uh, this is officially the kickoff for their tour. And and the one thing, and I'll, we'll get into your personal stories in a second. I, 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 the one thing that really I took from this show and listening to all this is that it's so rare that a band puts out an album and doesn't show some excitement for it. They they don't sh- like there was nothing in the show where I could I could show this to somebody that doesn't know about it to say this is the first show since since Versus was out. They made no mention to the record. They you know, they just went through the songs the way they went through the songs and and that was it. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, I noticed that too and and uh listening to it again recently, it's just like not a mention nothing that's i don't know might have been due to the like i said the fact that they had just found out before the show about the how much it sold and they just didn't feel like how do you even mention that like if you mention that you're just gonna feel like you're bragging and that's not the kind of band that they are you know so ed just probably figured like hey we're just not gonna mention it at all like people people obviously know so let's just play the music mm-hmm. anybody that's had a sophomore album the sophomore album is probably arguably the toughest album to put out because you have such a huge huge and especially with 10 you have to live up to that hype and if you don't live up to the hype then you're especially in the 90s they're just going to pass you by right away and go on to the next thing and and you know it feels obviously they 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 pass that hurdle but i don't know if that's something that they were thinking about at this point 
like I, like I mentioned, the the book really starts off with you kind of bringing in this connection with this show, and that's why I wanted to do it today when when we got you on. So talk about it. Talk about how you got down there and and what what triggered you to go down there and how you got the tickets because it's a really interesting story. Well, and I, it, I think it, we got to start with mom. We got to go back to the very beginning. Okay. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's that's true. Um, yeah, I mean, really, this book doesn't exist without my mom. And, uh, you know, probably, well, maybe I would still be a Pearl Jam fan. Um, but yeah, you know, she, she saw the Jeremy video. And I, I don't even remember, I had probably heard the song, maybe I hadn't, I don't know, she saw the video, and tells me, you've got to see this video, this band is awesome. And I'm like, okay, and, and so next time it comes on MTV, you know, she came and she was cool. She used to listen to the same kind of stuff I did and, you know, watch MTV, that kind of thing. And, and uh, so she says, Hey, this Pearl Jam song's on and watched it. And I was like, Oh shit. Wow. This, this band is awesome. And that was like, just clicked for me after seeing that it was like, everything changed. Um, and of course, you know, took uh, interest right away. And, um, we learned that they were going to start this tour. And I was like, uh, we were probably like four hours away from San Francisco, just kind of decided on a whim. Hey, my best friend and I will, we'll go down there and see if we can get in. I've never even been to a real concert before, so I don't even know what's going on. <laughs> but, uh, we, I had, uh, we had 110 bucks in cash and we thought, well, surely that'll be enough. And as it turned out, it was, but man, that sure wouldn't go very far these days. But yeah, we, we went down there, uh, had no real plan other than hopefully we'll see the show. And we bought ticker, tickets, two tickets with our 110 bucks uh, from somebody that was selling them outside. And I, I don't know, it was like the most exciting thing ever, you know, at that point. Got into the Warfield, super cool place. I, I've actually never been back. I've not been there for another show. But uh, such a cool venue that, you know, it's decent size, I guess, but it feels really small. Yeah, it was it was just an amazing show. Um, start to finish, I, you know, I don't have a ton of specific memories about it. I do remember some things. Um, but one thing that was really cool is when it was over and we were sort of like in a daze just because it was, you know, we were blown away, basically. And we step out from the dark theater into the, the vestibule area out there. And there's a reporter there sticking a microphone in our faces. And it's like, hey, is Pearl Jam your Led Zeppelin or this generation's Led Zeppelin? And it was like, what is happening? Why are there people shoving microphones in our faces? So it was so weird. But it like captured the essence of what was going on with Pearl Jam at the time that you know, it was, it was crazy. For and them. that's exactly what they were afraid of and what they wanted to stray away from it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's why they didn't say anything about the new record. In the show. <laughs> right. They don't want to be compared to Led Zeppelin. They just want people to kind of consume what they're doing and understand what they're doing for, for the right reasons. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So another thing actually happened on this day, which is very interesting. The, uh, the Cameron Crow, the first cover article 
was released yeah. on this day. And and that might have been another reason why they were just like, okay, all, all this might be a little bit too much. This is all happening all at once. It just seemed to rain on, on them all at one time. That article really sort of, uh, at least in my opinion, and looking back at it, you know, I don't know what was thought at the time outside of the, uh, the band itself, but it really sort of cemented their legend, you know? If you look back at it, it's like, oh, this is the story that kind of completed or, or you know, the first full sort of telling of, of who they were and, right. and where Understanding they were what the Mama-san was and yeah. what it's, it's an iconic doing. interview. Like, yeah, absolutely. This was only three days after the time cover as well. That that famous, like, All the Rage cover where they, they had him, him and Kurt had agreed not to do it. And then they ended up putting him on the cover anyway. So they were probably still mad about that as well. Yeah, I think he was pissed about that for oh yeah, a year if not years. Let's uh let's get into talking about this a little bit because they they uh, right off off the top from the bootleg we have some soundcheck stuff and this is really interesting. So the first the first of the three soundcheck songs that we have is is I'm gonna say it's it's some kind of jam improv that they came up with either on the spot or they had been doing in the past and uh you know he keeps singing athena the whole time athena athena song called Athena it's not that it doesn't really sound that familiar to that but that's kind of also I guess maybe what they were maybe that's something that was on his mind at the time obviously you can make that connection there's there's who connections in this show but it's just it's interesting because obviously at this time pulling out lots of different improvs and jams and, and this actually sounded really good it almost went for about 15 minutes yeah yeah it's it's uh, quite a long one and yeah, like he said, I, I feel like it, it could have, maybe there was a nugget of, a, of an actual song there. I wonder if they explored it outside of that. Yeah, they were always working on new stuff. You know, at this time, you know, we're, we even get a song from the next album at this show. So, right. yeah, they, at this point they were just like, like it says in that Rockline interview, which was done, you know, the week before this, they were just focused on the music. They're out there a lot at this time. This is, this is so busy for them and, and that's probably why there's there's a lot less excitement than than there should be but you know what who's saying that there should be anything 
that's how they're going to feel is how they're going to feel. So, I mean, that that will obviously be the theme of this show and one of the themes of the show going forward. But uh, the other songs that were checked, Rear View Mirror was checked. I didn't think that there was anything too specific in that that sounded different, that that really was obvious in that. But but Rats was also checked. And this was did, very did you hear, interesting. Did you hear the tease in Rear View Mirror? There's a little tease of uh, an old punk rock song. Did you catch that? I did not catch it. It's... <laughs> Suspect device is some. I think it's Stone plays a little bit of Stiff Little Fingers. Really? Suspect device. Yeah, yeah, I didn't catch it. You could hear Mike and Stone, sort of John in the background occasionally. Yep. Mike sounded pissed about something about his guitar sound. That was in Rats. Yeah, I was gonna bring that up. So. At this time, they weren't playing Rats a real lot, and I think this was probably, outside of WMA, the song that they played the least on this 93 tour, and it sounded like somebody liked it. It sounded, it could have been Ed, but I thought it was Jeff that was complaining, and you know that maybe that's just me trying to connect the voices, but somebody was not very happy with the way that their sound check went from this. And then they did not play rats. So exactly. Yeah. That's, um, uh, you know, pull, <laughs> yeah. putting the thread together on, on why this necessarily hasn't become that, you know, standout live track. This has been played 59 times throughout the last 27 years. You would think that a song off a prominent album would be mixed in more, but this could be kind of a, a little hint at why they were not ready to play it or uncomfortable playing it. Mm-hmm. I, I, my, kind of take on Rats too is it was one that was kind of put on this record to make a statement and to be different and I don't maybe it doesn't translate as well as a live song I don't know um, I mean I, I think it's a great song but it's just it's a different song and so I don't know that it's you know going to get the crowd going as much as others. Yeah this uh, this soundcheck version is cool though they, it does have kind of a little a cool little jam at the end it's a little interesting. It's kind of like, you know, what, what could have been if they had kind of turned this into more of a, of a regular, you know, set list favorite. Yeah. It's just a song that, that never really stuck live. And, and obviously if they didn't really love it from this show that they weren't going to play it uh, on this night. And that's exactly what happened. So let's dig into the actual set list here and your first ever song. Look, you're, you know, you're in the majority here. Uh, you pull all these people. We've done it before. We've pulled over a hundred people and asked them, what is the first song you've ever seen been? It's been very overwhelmingly released.
your first song? Like what? Because it's so different than any opening song. You would think, hey, most bands would just open with "Go" because that's the first song off, off the most recent record. So, what were your expectations on that? Um, you know, I I don't know that I had any expectations. I was just so friggin' excited to be there, you know. <laughs> Um, but to me, that's always felt like a song that's, it's, uh, and maybe it's, you know, uh, subliminal because it's, it's the closer on 10. Um, it feels like either a beginning or an end sort of song to me. It, it, it's easing you into one state or another. So it, it kind of felt appropriate, I think, at the time, and it still, still does. Um, it's, it's, uh, you know, it, it takes its time and it kind of heats up, but it never, it never boils over. You know, um, it's I don't know. It's it's fitting. It's always seemed like, uh, in my mind, one of a quote unquote you know classic Pearl Jam opening song. A lot of the times around this time, they would open up when they would, they would like drop the lights completely, and it would just be that guitar riff and his voice coming through the dark. Do you remember if this was one of those nights? I remember it was dark most of the time. Yeah. Uh, it, like throughout the entire show, it was, um, and it was funny too, because uh, getting to see the clips of a few songs from that show, um, it was also very dark. So it was like, oh, okay, that wasn't a false memory. <laughs> How close were you? Did you have, did you have seats? Did you try to make it up real close? No, yeah, I've never been one of the, you know, get to the rail people. Um, sure. I, I just, I had a phase of that, at, you know, around then maybe, but uh, I don't like to get smashed and, and bumped into and stuff. I'd like to enjoy the enjoy the show. Um, so yeah, we had seats. Um, I don't know. I would say probably two thirds the way back from the stage. Okay. The, the, the theater is set up in such a way that it still feels intimate, even if you're you know almost as far away as you could be. Just a couple of thousand people here. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a great setup for, for, for show for sure. And, you know, great view. You can't really have a, a bad view there. Right away after release, we kind of kick in with, with some of these versus songs here, animal and go back to back, obviously not as part of, uh, the way that it's on the record, but that gets you right into a show the way that you expect 1993 shows to start. And then, after that, you get blood, and blood is not really a beginning of the set kind of song. So they were messing around with stuff. I remember we did a show not long ago, and it might have been in '93. It might have been earlier uh, over that summer where they were really experimenting with stuff. I, I feel like blood was a number three, number four song at that show, right. and they were still trying to figure out what this one was. And obviously, this is one that you want to keep for later and, and build to that moment that they can. You know, Ed can really get some of those primal screams out, but like that's—they're blasting you with these these album songs here, and it's it, it's fantastic. Yeah, super intense. The video that I watched of the Blood performance too it was interesting. Um, Ed's mannerisms are very in line with uh, you know what he and the band were going through at the time too. It's like kind of a painful delivery of sorts and we mentioned all the the band magazine stuff that was going on and that's directly in this song so yeah it makes sense that they would want to hit this one early at the show and like make it kind of a mission statement for the for this night and yeah ed ed sounds unhinged during this he is he is definitely pushing it as hard as he can 
Yeah, there's there are times where where that happens in the show, and there's also times where it's just maybe later on that you just get some like hesitation or just like in between songs where it's like, okay, what do we do next? What happens next? And obviously, 1993 wasn't necessarily the year that they kind of figured out how to communicate with the crowd. This is not one where getting the crowd involved is is really their 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 forte. But I, I don't think when you're there, you realize things like that. Yeah, it, it definitely not you know picking up on any of that. Although I do remember it was funny the first time in re-listening to the boot when Ed says, uh, you know, how are you doing? Because I worry about you, you know. Right. I was like, oh, shit, I remember that. I remember him saying it. And it was just like, oh, you know, it's maybe true, maybe not. But as a young kid there at the show, which I'm sure most of the people there were like, oh, man, that's cool. He cares, you know. It's such a different thing to address because, like, like we mentioned before, most bands would be like, hey, we just had an album and, and they tell a story or they try to communicate. They look at people in the front and there's a couple times where he asked for the house lights in, in, in the show. But, you know, he, he's he's taking a different approach and it feels it feels humble. It feels real. And it feels like they, they are kind of opening up in a way that maybe you don't necessarily get from reading those magazines that are out at the time. Yeah, he even says, I think, oh, you know, we've been losing a lot of young people lately, you know. So, right. yeah, I wonder if there was, like, something that had just happened. That I, I don't don't remember, obviously. But, yeah, I wonder if there had just been a, a story or something that he was referring to. And that's that's all right here. That's that's a perfect segue. I don't know if it was it was meant to work out that way, but that segued from blood into even flow. And uh, look, even, even flow here, when watching on the video, you're obviously, like, you're, you're getting some moments where Ed is kind of jamming out with Stone a little bit where you kind of see them. And and the one thing I just took away from Ed is is that he's not moving around a whole lot and he's kind of letting his hair down over his eyes where he can't really, you know, almost like he's kind of hiding himself in a way. And I thought that that was interesting and I'm wondering if that was on purpose or not. I had the same thought. Like, uh, it just, when he first started with a band, there's the story of, uh, how he was, you know, so shy and not really himself on stage. And then he had a moment and, you know, became who he is. Right. The breath moment. Yeah. And, and it felt like watching these clips again, um, that he kind of regressed to that uh, pre comfort level stage. And if, you know, that's pure speculation, of course, but, if true at all, it probably had much to do with what was going on with the with the press, with success and, and mm-hmm. Runge thing at the time. Yeah, there was an interview and I I don't remember what it's from, but he, he talks about like, you know, you see that guy's face and you see his face over and over again. If he's like and you say, If I see that guy's face one more time, I'm just gonna and he's like, I'm that guy. Like yeah, so I, I think it absolutely was on purpose. Yeah, he, he just didn't want to see his own face. The magazine covers and all that is goes into that as well. Like, he'd become kind of like this heartthrob kind of teenage idol, you know? And it's like, no, 
you know, he's he's definitely going away from that on purpose, I think. Look, this show is coming off of two very, very small club shows. That's where he feels comfortable for the most part. He wants to play at these shows like the off-ramp, places that allow maybe like 500 people. That's where he feels most comfortable, and that's where he can also see everybody. He wants to kind of be part of the action as well as performing to everybody. So that's important to him. And and coming off those two shows, I'm, I'm wondering, even that it's just a couple of thousand of people, that could be something that's setting in his mind that it's just a different approach to all this. So after even flow, you get, you do get an improv here and this is very interesting. And, and the way that a lot of these improvs in 1993 went, they felt a lot more, Oh, I don't want to say immature, but it felt like they were, they were getting a lot more off their mind. And this version, it's called, I could prove to you. And it feels more mature than most of the content that they were putting out at the time. You have lyrics in there, you know, take her to the altar if you're going to take her all the way. Love could last forever, though impossible it may seem. These are really artistically amazing lyrics that he has in here. And it almost, to me, feels as polished of an improv as something like Untitled. heard this uh my first thought was it sounded like something one of the like what i've always thought of as sort of half songs off of uh metallogy it's just not quite all there but it's great for what it is that's it's interesting i thought i thought the same thing i thought i i could definitely see this in some form popping up on vitalogy because they played this again in the spring of 94 i think in louisville they did they did the same improv so i think it this might have been something that was in the works even as kind of a possible you know early new song so yeah very very cool and you can even you can like google you know pearl jam i could prove to you and you can find the lyrics to this like it's it's well known so yeah this is this is very very cool and they probably don't even remember something like this with with the girth of, of the of their of their discog this just kind of fades into the background and I guess that could be a reason why we're here to to throw it back in, into people's minds again. But this is fantastic. I, I really, really liked what they did on this. And it feels more less of the fuck me in the brain type improv and more along the lines of uh, the open roads and, and uh, the price of everything that we covered a couple of weeks ago. Dissident and Why Go follow up and, you know, the balance of album songs. That was one of the things I thought about here. It feels like they're almost breaking up the versus album for a reason and there I, I and i can't put my finger on why but it seems it seems deliberate yeah you know you go back to the you know the slim show from 93 in the spring where a lot of these were debuted and i don't even think they felt like this was a premiere of the album i think they were just trying to make a good set list for the first night of the tour you know because because they like you said they've been playing these songs a lot over the years so it's not like 
you're getting not like you're getting you know the first performance of this and the second performance of that like this is only the seventh performance of dissident but a lot of these they they've been played 15 20 25 times animal so. 25 go 22 yeah. even blood at, at 12 yeah these right. are, these are yeah. not new to them while they're new to everybody else it's almost like they have to kind of pretend a little bit they they need to pretend that okay this is new to everybody but yet it's been kind of sitting with them and and you know that goes back to the whole vitalogy thing where bringing in songs like whipping and then later last exit and uh and tremor christ that they were just they wanted to get the new music in and they wanted to continue creating things so in in between the two songs he actually mentions he's he says he might look upset but he's not upset when it's about the music and it's about us and you there's nothing wrong there it sounds like he's about to escalate and go into something else and then he kind of just pauses himself and and some of these little things these little interactions are just like again it goes with the energy that you expect from a rock and roll band that that is putting out a sophomore record versus what they're you know what they actually feel and and they're being so transparent with how they feel and it's it's interesting because I, i feel like in the 90s generation x it felt like they were able to open up with things like that a little bit more and maybe because people like ed were so open with how they felt in such a a public setting yeah very telling and i think you know try to put yourself in their shoes you know we we mentioned the you just found out that now you are the biggest band in the world. You set this record that a million people went out and bought your your record on the first week, which had never happened before. You're, you're three days off of this magazine cover that you didn't approve. And people are trying to people are just trying to get a piece of you for anything, you know, to, to make money or to get fame or whatever. And like you're you're feeling like kind of things are spiraling out of control. And all you have is you just get to go on stage and play this music. That's your, that's your catharsis. Like that's when you get to say what you want to say. So yeah, I, I think, I think you're right, Randy. He, I think there were a couple of times where he definitely wanted to kind of go off on one of those kind of epic, almost like the, the from Fairfax, that 94 show or something where the, he just wanted to let loose, but he had to like, Oh, nope, that if I do that, that's just going to make it worse. Like they're going right. to use that against me. That's not that's not how I that's not how we're going to handle this. So, yeah, I think I think you're right. However, the way that he kind of almost put a bookend on that saying, fuck home, you are home. And I think that kind of that can bring everybody together and make you feel like, okay, wherever wherever you go after this doesn't matter because we're kind of in it together at this moment. And I, I think that's kind of what he's trying to say. And that's maybe what he's trying to kind of get through at the time as well. Uh, You know, this, this is where he feels comfortable because outside of this venue, outside of this arena, if he goes out and walk on the street and, and five people see him and, and surround him and want the magazine signed, something like that, it's a different, it's a different person. So this is where he can really feel like he can be himself. Jeremy daughter right in the middle here, obviously daughter, not a hit yet, but you consider this kind of a hit section. Jeremy was really good at this show. While Ed is doing that vocal run at the end, you kind of hear that crowd just roar. He's probably like about a minute into it, but you feel the crowd just enjoying the moment and kind of feeling feeding off of the moment. But before Daughter, very interesting because he says, I hope this song is not for you. It's called Daughter. That's on his mind at the time. The next year in 94, Not For You would actually become a real song. Yeah, which is fitting with the the 
theme of abuse. Well, yeah. sort of that, abuse and other things, but yeah, that was a cool little tease there. I like that. I'm glad you picked up on that. Absolutely. Yep. And daughter, like you can tell at this point that it's going to turn into a top star song that, you know, it's elevated in the build. It kind of soars. It gives the crowd a really good moment. And then tag, we get a, a quick, can you see the real me tag? And that kind of sets you up for, Hey, and later down the line in the future that this is going to be a, uh, a who cover that, that they do. Like we mentioned before, there are a lot of Who references in this show, so that's just one of them. Uh, Rearview Mirror falls up, and then after Rearview Mirror, the whole rest of the main set is just going to be 10 songs. Very interesting, very kind of different, not what I expected to be, but Rearview Mirror's intro is very, very interesting for Real Rearview Mirror. How long, and I'm wondering if this is just vamping for maybe like a guitar change or something like that, but it, you know, it gets a response. It gets a really good reaction from the crowd clapping along with it. It's pretty fantastic. And I don't know if they've extended the intro in this fashion before. You know, they would start doing a thing where it would start really quiet or it would start kind of slower. But yeah, extended like this. Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, very, very cool. With some of these songs, do you remember, like, do you have like a vivid memory of like seeing what the band was doing during these songs or or, like embellishing certain lyrics or like little things that you kind of notice on the live stage? Do you have those from this show or is it just too long ago and, and... kind of the memories fade after a while because rearview mirror is always one of them where i just have a vivid memory of what was going on during the song yeah it's been so long i don't remember a specific moment so you mentioned a few in the book and i wanted to see if this was you mentioned there's one where where you know mike smashes his guitar and slices his hand you see you know kind of you know you talk about each kind of member of the band was there was there some of this in rearview mirror it sounds like there was yeah, you know, and I couldn't remember until um, listening to the, the boot again about when Mike smashed the guitar and cut his hand open. Seemed like that was in Porch. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't want to okay. jump ahead to that, but uh, I think that's when that happened. I think maybe it's more in thinking back on things and knowing kind of 
what they tend to do at times. But the you know the the jumping, the split leg jumps, and, and another who thing. And uh, Dave up there pounding away, and his hair's flying in his face. I remember you know little things like that, and how mobile they all were, just all over the stage. Even if it's Ed uh, covering his face, you know, or or you know moving next to one of the other guys and not being the, the center of attention. Especially one like Rearview Mirror, it's, it's such a different visual because Ed, for the only time, is, is putting on a guitar at this and you kind of get to see almost a different side of him. I, actually, that's funny. I do remember that because it was like, holy shit, he plays guitar too? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea at the time. Yeah, yeah we, nobody, nobody did. did. Yeah. Look, it would kind of obviously Vitalogy is is basically an Ed album, and he would get more comfortable with it from there. But yeah, River Mirror is just the one. But let's uh, there's all this ten stuff that that kind of comes at the end of the set here, and one of the more important ones of this little section is actually right here at once. And it, when when you're listening to it, you know I, I don't think I've heard a lot of versions of once that sort of go off and, and do their own thing that sound different from the recorded version, but this gets kind of jammy and this gets different. very different i couldn't tell it felt like something was happening and i mean ed seemed like he just disappeared i don't know if you if clinton you remember anything about that but a lot of times you know maybe there might have been something where he wasn't even on the stage it sounded like yeah i i, I may be mixing up shows that i've seen but yeah i do remember that he would step away and just not be there and and let the other guys kind of do their thing that's that's interesting because i didn't even think about that I was just kind of thinking, because obviously, like, what is he going to do 
when he's there, he's not playing anything. So, yeah, it does make sense. But could it be an interaction with the crowd? Could he have gone down to the crowd? Could that have been a moment for that? Don't know. Uh, but that, I mean, it's interesting that you bring it up. But, like, it's a great version. I, that you, when you hear the song over a hundred times, especially when they're doing all these Lollapalooza shows in 92, like, this is getting played every single night. Try something different, even if you have to kind of vamp a little bit. There seems to be a lot of vamping at this show. Great. It's fantastic. Like, we don't get a lot of evolution out of once, but this is it. Between this and, and Alive, this is another interesting uh, interaction here. He says there's a lot of people that you can learn from. Some are still alive, like Henry Rollins. Henry Rollins' band opened up uh, this show, which is interesting and, and probably pretty important. Uh, and so he says, you know, a lot of us who have been going through death, we kind of learn from their death, but it's sure nice to learn from people who are still living. Take it from me. And that's just like, again, him just being transparent about what's going on in his mind and not almost using that platform as kind of a therapeutic moment instead of, OK, like when you get off the bus, you know, things change, things are different and you can go be a rock star now. He's It's kind of like no you can go be ed now i feel like this was before maybe alive became the like positive joyous sort of it absolutely was given it yeah it absolutely there's versions in 94 where he'll say like is there something wrong she said of course there is you fucking bitch he'll say stuff like i think there's a ver i think it's red rocks where middle of the song he's like i don't even know i don't even know why we sing this song I don't even know why we do this. Like, what the fuck is this about? And then you kind of get 2006 is where this turns a corner and he tells the story about how people are kind of singing along and, you know, reacting to it in the way of, like, celebrating the song. But the song's content is obviously not meant for that. But it they broke the curse. We talk about that constantly. The song, obviously, at the time, while it's catchy and anthemic and... and and one that stands out when, when people think about them, it's not really a song that you think that he would celebrate, but it does change it. Absolutely. I feel like that song, you know, I remember being at the show, and of course we're all singing along with it, and the crowd loves it. Uh, it it's interesting. It, it's really just, when you look at it critically like you guys are doing, it draws a line between you know, what the what the intent the content was and, and how the how the fans how the listeners uh, digested but also like i think going back to that the camera crow article it could have been after this day that people start to realize that okay this is this is where alive comes from people are just singing i'm still alive because it's a catchy hook they're they're not singing it because it's kind of almost sarcastic they're singing it because it's it's a, it's it's a catchy song on rock radio yeah, I think you're, and you, you know, going back to the the speech, I think you're kind of getting Ed unfiltered at, at these shows. You know, and the the thing that we kind of hit on a lot in these shows is like the banter becomes like a little, you know, a little window into his psyche because, yeah, you're you're getting how many times do you get Ed speaking without a filter, like without not on the radio, not in an interview, not in Rolling Stone, like he's just able to he's just sit there with a microphone, he gets to say what he wants, so. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, he's he's got that stuff on his mind. But I think cool, like, you know, they had just premiered Footsteps. I think, you, you know, once in a life here, 
I would have been thinking like we were gonna get footsteps after this. Would have been cool. Yeah. Would have yeah, been cool. Yeah. And instead, we get Garden, which seems to be the song where lately we're getting in set list where they have absolutely no idea where to put it. And you think going from Alive into Porch would kind of build to your ender here. But yeah, gar- Garden, if you if you did Alive in a Garden in the Porch in, you know, 10, 15, 20 years later, you'd be like, hey, that doesn't really fit. That doesn't really work well. But I think they could kind of get away with it in 1993. These versions, you know, from 93 with with Dave that the ending really elevates and you know Mike and Dave at the end sound really good we haven't been talking a lot about the music at this show because it feels like we're we're trying to kind of connect some dots here and that's kind of what the show is about but uh he's again being transparent in this conversation and and these are important bits and and really what this show kind of the theme is about so I'd like to be honest and speak on behalf of everybody thank you for the warm welcome this city, you people, the only city that can be justified having an attitude because it is so cool here. They have a really good tie there because, you know, they they recorded there. They recorded the album there. And uh, they did the br- first Bridge School performance there. They played the Slim's Cafe show there. They're, this is starting to become an important area that would continue to be an important area for Pearl Jam, especially, you know, you get a couple of years later and something very important would happen in, uh, in San Francisco, but it is nice that he is making a connection with the fans in that aspect. Yeah. It's, it's kind of cool that the tie into them having, you know, spent time in the area recording the record and knowing that Ed was kind of going into the, the city and, you know, that's where he sort of got the, the nugget for WMA um the, the experience of, of being on the street and and seeing that police interaction this is yeah it's cool to have him acknowledge that vocal connection all right we're closing the main set here with porch and uh look i think this is kind of this is a dave standout this version i thought however there is something very interesting because usually i don't know if you guys heard this but i heard a little bit of sabbath in there usually it's war pigs and sometimes it's really tough to tell because I've fallen into this trap before. This version was actually Iron Man. so tough to explain it because the the riffs the ending riffs of those songs are almost identical one of them is and the other is and that's what they do here and they almost never do iron man they almost always do more bits if they're right a tag on to tearing on the back end definitely a an ode to rollins band opening up and kind of leads to a pretty juiced up ending of this. And we kind of mentioned it before McCready, you know, smashes the guitar and, and kind of gets, gets hurt a little bit. What do you remember from this moment? Uh, I, I do remember that happening that he was, you know, obviously extremely into it. And, and back when, when, uh, some of them, <laughs> some of the bands would, would do that. Yeah. Just 
crushed the guitar on the stage and I remember pieces going flying. I think the body of the guitar actually went out into the crowd. Um, and then he kind of disappeared shortly thereafter. Um, and, uh, and then of course later reappears, or I, I'm not sure if it must've been after Ed made reference, I think uh, in hearing the audio again, Ed said something about somebody threw something at him. I was thinking he said that, but what really happened was he cut his hand while he shredded the guitar. Right. It sounded like I did address that, but I think you're right. I think that I think he cut his hand when when he was smashing it off. Um, so yeah, maybe yeah, both of those things maybe happened within the same time frame, really. But um, yeah, that was I mean pretty awesome to see that for one, except for the fact that he injured himself. And then I remember uh, leaving that show that night. I think it was the parking garage elevator where cramming in there with a bunch of other people and there was a girl in there who had Mike's smashed guitar. Oh wow. Nice. What? Yeah, that's a, that's a cool souvenir. You get to go home with that? And yeah, I mean it was all, you know, strings hanging off and, and everything falling apart, but of course she was thrilled. But yeah, that, that she's got a, a good memory there. All right, we're at the encore here, so let's pause for station identification, talk a little bit about Patreon. And, uh, John, I guess the people really, really liked free bootlegs. How about that? Yeah, we had a <laughs> we had a great response. I mean, you know, we going back to the, you know, the Piss Bottle Men show that we did on Patreon and then the the Bogarts episode where we kind of like uncovered that that show yeah we had a, a lot of people to thank this week that's fantastic thank all of you guys that's yeah let's amazing let's get to that first we have seven new patrons from this week and and we'll get in we'll get into all that but like let's 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 just start at the top uh let's thank amy win thank you amy alex oh my god i'm going to just preface this right now i might get somebody's name in this batch of people i might get your name mispronounced and if i do you have full authority to make fun of me or just send yell us an email we'll send you we'll send you another free bootleg if we get your name wrong that, How about that that's a great idea that's anything <laughs> you want it's on the house alex i'm gonna say your name as jen 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 Stravitz. Jan Stravitz. Jandrasevitz. We got yes, there. I think that's it. We got there. Jandrasevitz. Uh Jason Miller, I know how to say that. Thank you, Jason. Uh Ross Struthers. Thank you, Ross. I think I can know how to say that as well. Uh and this one this one's gonna be tough. John, I'm gonna say this is John Serdini. Serdini. It could be Sir Dennis. But I think it's Serdini. It sounds okay. French, so I'm going to go with that. If I'm wrong, bootleg on the house. <laughs> so those are our brand new bonus leg patrons. And thank you also to Graham Jewell and Bill Ward for joining up on the Giggle Leg. This was a. Bill, Bill Ward from Black Sabbath? I, I hope so. That would be a fantastic get. <laughs> I haven't heard from Bill yet, but hey, all anybody new or. Anybody in the past that, that that signed up months ago that we haven't reached out yet because we're about to give you our total for how many patrons we have, and it's kind of astounding, but reach out to us. If, if you haven't picked a show yet, let us know what show you want in the future, like 
reach out. I want to get you guys involved in some of these, these things that we got going on. And we'll talk about that in a second, but we had this goal of a hundred patrons and, and it was like, okay, if we get there by June, we'll do this thing. But, uh, looks like we're two away from getting to our goal because we're at 98 after this massive batch of people. So for everybody that just joined and everybody that's been joining and, and, and in taking the content and enjoying everything. Thank you so much. This has just been awesome. Just seeing the response from this. And even sometimes when like, you're like, I don't know if anybody's listening. I haven't heard from a and B people and I haven't gotten this email or haven't gotten a social media response. This is a good response to tell you that something is going on and you guys are enjoying it. So we thank you so much for all that. Absolutely. Yeah, all of you guys, that that means so much to us. If you want to be like one of the seven, the Magnificent Seven, so to speak, uh, then you can join up on Patreon. We have Nice, nice Clash reference there. Like yeah, that. indeed. If you want to join up, uh, we have the three tiers, the Bonus Leg Tier, the Giggle Leg Tier, and the Horizon Leg Tier. Basically, from all three tiers, you're going to get all the content that we put on Patreon, all the Evolution episodes, all the Bridge School episodes, all the extra stuff, and and like we mentioned, the Bogarts, like... That's been fantastic. The Piss Bottle Men show, that's been fantastic. Those are all stuff that are just bonus to what you get here to this. It's, you know, it's worth the dollar. I always say, if you're going to dip your toe into the content, at least just join for the bonus leg. It's only going to cost you a dollar a month. I think there's something on Patreon where you can pay for a whole entire year's worth of subscription, and that makes it a percentage cheaper than what, a dollar a month would be, but, uh, that's also something that you can do. So, uh, but the giggle leg will get you a show request, get us to talk about something that you want covered on the show. And the horizon leg will donate to our concertpedia page and we'll get you a fan profile. Yep. And you can go to the Patreon app as well. Search for live on four legs. That's the easiest way to do it. Yep. Patreon.com slash live on four legs and, uh, sign up over there if you're interested uh just real quick uh we have a little thing that we're doing tomorrow if you're listening to this on wednesday thursday reach out because we're going to be doing our matt jack dave matt versus jack versus dave game show where we get a panel of people and what we're going to be doing we're going to be picking songs at random that all three of these drummers have in common there's you know pretty much three three albums worth of content and then a couple other you know lost dogs and other songs here and there that we can pull from but we'll pull a song out of a hat once the song is mentioned people are going to hold up a piece of paper either reading whether they think it's a best known and best definitive as a Jack song, a Matt song or a Dave song. And it's, it's going to be an interesting debate to see how people think in that manner, because it feels like people only peg them as, you know, just the regular drummers just being like, well, I like Dave stuff. I like Matt stuff. Well, there's specific songs that fit their style that we want to find out which ones are the definitive ones for that. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. And I think, you know, if you're interested in participating, definitely let us know. And I would ask, you know, if you want to go ahead and get your prep work done, you can get a Sharpie 
and three pieces of paper, write Matt on one, write Jack on one, write Dave on one, so you'll be all ready. You can, like, glue them to, like, a popsicle stick, so you can, like, like hold them up <laughs> if you really want to go all out. I'm hoping someone's going to do that. But, yeah, that, that's going to be a lot of fun. And I think, I, you know, I might even surprise myself with some of my answers. We'll see how it goes. We'll see, we'll see how it goes. It'll be done over Zoom. If you're on Patreon, we'll post the link to Patreon. If you're not on Patreon, you can still participate, either you if you want to watch or if you want to be part of the panel. You can do either. Just get in touch with us uh, live on four legs podcast at gmail.com. We will send you a link or hit us up on social media. If you message me personally, you can hit me up on my personal accounts or the live on four legs, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, wherever Uh, we are just not making the zoom link public. So that's, if you go to any of our pages, it will not be there. Get in touch with us personally, and we will get you into this awesome event. And it's live on four legs, the number four, not F-O-U-R right now. So let's, uh, we have four more songs in the encore here. Uh, like you mentioned before, Ed kind of is vamping here, says McCready got hit with something. They're stitching him up, but he has Halloween candy that he's passing out to everybody and, uh, says, make sure you're in a safe place when you swallow this because of course it has acid in it. And, uh, then he has to see the house lights for everybody. But I wonder, cause it didn't feel like this was actually prepared you know it kind of sounded like almost like they were were starting it and and not realizing okay are we actually going to do this i don't think that this was on the set list i think this was just a reaction to what mccready did to go in to play my generation to play a who song because this is only they did it the night before i believe at the catalyst but this is only something this was the third out of four times that they ever done it i think that's a reaction to, to what had happened in porch I think so too. I mean, just having been there, I, I remember it being a very impromptu feeling. Did you catch one? That's the important question. No, no, I was too far away. Yeah. Never, never been lucky enough for catching <laughs> drumsticks, whatever else they're. Was was Mike even back for this? It didn't seem like very much time had passed. Did they play this with him on stage? I, I yeah, that's a good question. It was really tough. To, it sounded like there was only one guitar. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. sound cool. Like you said, it could have just been something not on the set list just just the four of them playing it yeah I, I think this was definitely something that was played on the spot like decided in that second 
It lasts about like two minutes, but it's fun. Ed is embellishing some of the lyrics. And oh, he's playing it up. Yeah. Yeah. This is this is really cool. And and how often are we going to talk? We talk about so many different Who songs. We'll talk about The Real Me, and we'll talk about Love Rain Over Me, and, and we're probably going to be talking about those songs for a while. Like, they have lots of versions of those. My generation can't say the same thing for them. So it's cool that you get into the set list this early, and especially probably not too much longer after this they would never bring it up again so but you get right after that that i mean this is throwing you for a loop here and you thought hey they have a an album of 12 new songs how can they play something that is brand new that we haven't heard before how do they have more stuff so what's what's it like getting a brand new song here with whipping and did you remember this song afterwards and kind of recognize it when you heard it on vitality yeah, it's funny. This is one of those, you know, back then, occasionally they'd play something and it would just go over my head. And I think over the heads of a lot of people in the crowd. And this was one that was like, uh, are they covering somebody? Is this an original? What, what's going on here? And then, of course, you know, when the album comes out, it's like, ah, okay, this, <laughs> this was their own song. But yeah, it's, uh, I don't know, it was kind of a treat. Yeah, and again, only the seventh time they played it. You know, Mike's definitely back on for this one. You can hear him kind of doing oh, yeah. those little upstroke, high-pitched thing that he does there. But, yeah, I mean, he, Ed comes out and says, like, oh, you know, you, you know, you guys probably don't know this one. It's a new one. The seventh time, the same as Dissident. They played them the same amount of times. That's crazy. Yep, the debut. And, and it's, it's weird because, like, Whipping was kind of recorded at the same time and, and maybe yeah. prepared to be on the album, same as, same as uh, Better Man. It was, they were both played at the Slim Show. So, obviously, bringing it back around, if, if people that were actually at the Slim Show were at this show, then, hey, maybe they can recognize it from this. But, yeah, of course, you know, instead of going with, with three songs left, instead of going with something like like State of Love and Trust or Breath that's, you know, not off an album, but stuff that people can recognize off singles, they decide, hit you with something you don't know. Obviously, it worked, and it was a really good version of Whipping, but uh, you get to the ending here. Leash into Indifference. Uh, you know, that little bass pluck as Ed is kind of speak singing, drop the leash, get out of my fucking face, sounded really, really cool. this kind of vigor and, and ferocity from it and you just didn't hear it from this version i didn't get that full energetic rage that you usually get from leash from this and i'm kind of wondering if if that's due to everything else that that had been talked about in the show yeah it, it does like the last couple of songs here feel like sort of a, a, a come down of sorts and Leash is, is so weird because by this time it was already on the downslide in its kind of progression because they had started playing it, you know, late in 91, played it so many times in, in 91 and 92. And by this time, I think they had already, they were already maybe starting to fall out of love with it, even though it was a brand new song on the brand new record. It's kind of an interesting juxtaposition that, that whipping 
is played back to back with this because yeah. whipping is something that okay let's add this into the fold especially in an encore where most bands that are playing encore songs are going to play stuff that you can recognize uh, but like Leash Indifference they're side B songs so it's not you know they're not busting out the go and animal for, for, for the end here but it, it obviously when you end a, a show with Indifference you're, you're kind of making a statement you're putting a statement on the night of kind of giving this like desolate ending you know balancing off with the way that you're kind of kicking kicking off the show with ease and into release and ending it like this it becomes more commonplace later but it's very interesting to kind of see it develop over time especially starting here having been there and then of course been to more recent shows it's sort of like the early Ledbetter or you know what has what Ledbetter has become as sort of the typical closer it kind of felt like it was just fitting for that. Do you remember getting this as a closer and being like, that's how, like, I, I know this was kind of your first show, but like, did you expect or maybe not expect, like, is this how people supposed to close shows? Do they close them out and kind of quietly instead of going out on a bang? All I remember is being like, well, is there going to be more? Is this, is this it? Okay. This is, I guess this is it. Um, and yeah, it was, uh, I don't know. It, to me, it kind of, I've always kind of tended to appreciate the, the, the slow fading close of a show where it's like, okay, we've worked you up and then we've kind of taken it back down again and now you're free to go. I, I don't know. It just felt appropriate. Yeah, this was cool. It seemed like the crowd was really into it. Uh, do you remember if there was, because there was a long kind of quiet break between Leash and Indifference, was, did they leave the stage and then come back for Indifference? You know, I'm not, I couldn't tell you 100%. Yeah, yeah. It was probably because that sort of was common. Um, right. But yeah. And, and also because it was so dark, kind of hard to tell what was sure. going on. Sure. Sure. Yeah, right. Right, right, right. So, all right. We, we went through the whole entire set list. Uh, I want to pick some moments from this. Why don't you go first, Clint? Like, what, what do you got? What do you, like, specifically top three moments when you think back to either you know, listening to the bootleg or just coming out of that show and saying, I love this. I love this. I love this. What, what were the ones that really stuck out to you over the years? Man. Um, I don't know. You know, the, the Mike smashing his guitar, I think is hard to overlook that. I don't know. That was just sort of an iconic thing. And, and then coming to learn more about the, that was kind of the who's thing and not only theirs, but, uh, just understanding maybe where where that came from was cool, um, and uh, yeah, I don't I don't know um, that that comment we talked about earlier where he says, you know, I worry about you and talks about the young people being lost. That's I, I feel like that's just never going to not be relevant. It was really cool as a as a young person being at the show to to have that sort of connection made and that was kind of his thing you know he he, he wanted to connect with people and it worked but yeah those are kind of the i guess maybe the the things that instantly come to mind yeah he has a way of drawing you in with that sort of stuff and it just yeah it just makes you just want to be a part of this club like you just want you want to get more and more and that's the way things were like we were we were so starved for every bit of Pearl Jam news and every new song that was coming out and you had to get this compilation and and you know it, you know it, 
you, this bootleg, you know, the, you'd find people that traded tapes and stuff like that. And you just wanted everything because, like, you wanted to know more and more of the story because they just weren't giving you enough. Yeah, the other thing I, I would say is the, the Song of Blood, mm-hmm. which I listen to a lot, uh, obviously, in, in the writing of the book and stuff. And it just being amazed that he's not, like, injuring his vocal cords in the process of singing that. Right. Uh, Especially just, you know, like that's, that's definitely a reason why it's not the fourth song in a set anymore. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds uncomfortable to say the least. John, what do you got for top three? Um, I got, uh, I got release to come out and, uh, the way release sounds at a show like this really, really good. Um, the improv I thought was, uh, was a highlight that, that I could prove to you thinking that it, you know, it was kind of maybe a, a precursor or a kind of a tease from, for things to come in Vitalogy and yeah, rearview mirror as well. Just so cool. That intro, the, the jam is really good. The ending just destroys that. Those, those are the, my three highlights from the show. Yeah. I'm tied with two of those. I, I love the improv in this. You know, and I, I get the Vitalogy tie-ins, but I, I thought that I'm going even further. I thought that it had a, a, a tie to, to Untitled as well. Like it just kind of had that mature uh, identity to it. So yeah, I, I love this one, and obviously it comes back later. So it was it was on their mind at the time. Rearview Mirror was another one. Just love the intro, love the outro to it. Fantastic, and and you get a different version of Once here, and I. I while once is not one of those songs I seek out and uh, you know like really kind of enjoy it this is this phase of my Pearl Jam fandom uh, at least this version was really different and fun like you can't get that out of almost any other version of this so when I'm gonna think about differing versions of the song in the future like going back to this and and seeing what kind of changes and evolutions of the song happen over the years. Like this would have to be one of them for sure. Uh, all right. Rating. Let's, let's get to it. Um, John, you go first. I want you to go first on this one. Yeah. Um, this is tough. Cause like, there's a lot of great stuff from the show, but it has a lot of really good moments. Um, but I think a lot of other shows on this tour maybe were better. It, it's, it's hard on the first night of a tour to, cause you know, they're, you you know you're not quite you haven't quite hit your groove yet. Uh, I'm gonna give this one an eight and a half. That's even that's that's high. That's high. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm I don't know. Like I guess my opinion of it when I first listened to it is different than my opinion of it now, and that's why I have a little bit of a tough time trying to place it because it didn't really become about the show itself it kind of became about everything that was surrounding it and sort of how they were feeling and it's less really about performances so i i just i'm gonna kind of toe the line and 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 just give it a seven because i don't really know where else to put it i don't know if i'll go back to a lot of different performances from this show but i i'll remember the show as kind of i don't know there there was for 1993 i think you expect a little bit more energy and a little bit kind of a little bit more fire. And, and like you said, the, this is a, a tour opener. You got to get your, your feet under you a little bit. And that just didn't really happen with this one. So yeah, and I'm, I'm sticking with seven. So what, Clint, this is the, the opinion that matters the most is yours. Cause you were there. These are the memories that you kind of seek. And, and this is why we, we bring the show up and want to do it. So your final take. 
Uh, yeah, I'll probably screw up your, your rating system, but, um, I, I don't know. I kind of go back and forth of either giving it like a 10 with an asterisk or splitting up my rating. I mean, it's hard to divide your nostalgia from your, you know, critical take. Yeah. Um, I would say, I mean, I have to give it a 10 because it was the show I saw first and, you know, the really main reason that I continue to be a Pearl Jam fan. But um, I guess as, as shows go, I would say closer to seven, eight, um, just in that kind of the reasons that you cited as well is that it, you know, they were, they were trying to figure their shit out at this point the comfort level wasn't there, I don't think. Right. And um, Ed hadn't figured out himself. And, you know, the whole band was still trying to, to figure out who they were going to be. So, yeah, I, I don't know that they'd settled in uh, to a point where you just have an amazing show from start to finish. But um, so, yeah, I don't know. I'd probably go in seven, eight range. It's different from us because we're, you know, we're judging off of bootleg and kind of historical sake, you're judging off of memories and what it means to you personally. So I, I would take that 10 and, and say that that's more important than any other rating that anybody else can give it because nobody else is going to have that experience that you had. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and I, yeah, I can't bad mouth my own experience. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was we- amazing. Um and uh, you know, the only maybe one other person who might give it a ten would be that uh, the the person who got the smashed McCready guitar. All right. Yeah. yeah. If you're out there listening, send us an email. <laughs> yeah, um, if you didn't sell it on eBay for right dollars, Clint, you you mentioned you've you've been to some other shows. What are some of the other shows that you've been to throughout the years? How many have you seen? Um, I you know I'm I'm not one to like follow them all over the world and and see them. I just, I, you know, for whatever reason, have not been able to see him a million times, but I think it's 15 ish is somewhere between 15 and 20. Um, right on. I can't bring it up to that level of like documenting every single little detail. About oh it. yeah. I'm, I'm only a nine. You're ahead of me. <laughs> All right. What's been the one that just outside of this show, maybe that just stands out. Um, Man, that's tough. I, I remember uh, one in Mountain View, California. It was an outdoor show. Uh, um, God, it was probably 94, 96, somewhere mid-90s. Bridge shows or no? Not a bridge show. I don't think I've ever been to a bridge show, but it was right around then, one of them. But uh, And actually, it was around Halloween because uh, not that's, only... That might have been 2000. I, I want to say it was earlier on but I, you know what i don't know i've got them written down somewhere but i remember for a couple of reasons one is that both of my parents were there with me they they went to a, a few shows um with me over the years which was super cool um but yeah my, my folks there at the show and then uh the band that came out in, i think it was the uh village people costumes that's 2000 <laughs> was it 2000 it was okay. 2000 yep All right. yeah it's a good show my memory sucks, but yeah, so uh, that was that was fun, and I mean, they were clearly just having such a good time. And for me, you know, the music is one thing, but just knowing that those guys are just being fulfilled doing the thing they love to do, and you're seeing they're they're up there smiling, having a good time. That's awesome. 
that's why we keep coming back. Absolutely. Um, hey, we're uh, we're gonna give away a book. We're gonna give away a copy of your book. So why don't we okay. do that tomorrow? You're listening to this on Wednesday. On Thursday, we'll 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 tweet something out and say, hey, retweet this to get a copy of Clint's book. And Clint, you'll you'll tweet it out, and uh, and somebody will win a copy. And and uh, and look, it's a great read. If if you don't get to win it go out and purchase it. Cause obviously you want to help Clint out and you know, he did a fantastic job on, on today's show and, and reliving his memories and, and look, man, thank you for, for, for coming on doing this. Oh yeah. And absolutely. Oh, thank you guys so much for asking. Um, and Hey, whoever wins the book, if you think it sucks, that's awesome. That's totally <laughs> Feel free to share your opinion. I just will not seek it out. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, it was about time that, that Pearl Jam got in this 33 and a third series. I'm glad, I'm glad we, we got that in there. But I have to ask, is there, is there, is there a plan for another pressing with the, the vinyl cover on the front instead of the CD cover? You know, that's, that's funny. I, that was actually my choice. Um, really? Yeah. And I chose that. You would think it would be the vinyl cover because, you know, the, this is kind of a vinyl focused series in a way, but I I chose the CD photo because that was what everybody knew it as at the time. Sure. You know, Makes I mean, sense. there were people, obviously there were people that got it a week ahead of time on vinyl. I was not one of them uh, because I was ignorant at the time. But uh, it, yeah, I felt like most people at the time knew it as what you saw on that, you know, Digipack cover. Oh, yeah. That's the one I had. I thought it made more sense to go that route. Cool. Right on. Cool. All right. Well, thanks so much for doing this. And uh, hopefully we get to get more books out of you at some point in the future and get more Pearl Jam publications out of you. Can't wait to see. Yeah, and, 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 and where can people find you on Twitter and all that stuff? Um, I'm on Twitter at tenaciousc.com. I think that's the same thing on Instagram. And yeah, I don't, I don't put a lot out there, but I'm, I'm there. Right on, cool. man. Cool. Thanks. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you guys yeah, both. Thanks, really Clint. All right. Well, that was awesome. That was great to have Clint on. And again, we're going to give away a copy of the 33 and a third book that he he just put out. And uh, if you're not following us on Twitter, at live on for the number four legs pod on Twitter, follow us. And on Thursday, we are going to start our contest. We'll probably announce something over the weekend. Just keep retweeting that and uh, and you will win, hopefully you will be one of many people that participate and maybe you'll be the one that wins and get a new book out of it. So that'll be great. But, um, Hey, next week we got a, another episode going on next week. Do you know what we're doing? I do. We're doing a, uh, we're going again back to the future 2016, right? Oh, great. Scott. We're, we're there. We're, mm-hmm. we're in Hampton, Virginia, 2016. And, and this, this a was show that I very nearly went to. That's interesting, yeah, because this yeah. is actually there's going to be a lot to talk about because this was the show that kind of followed up on the whole Raleigh thing that happened. We'll kind of get into that whole story because it's it's important when taking in all of the subject matter from why they were doing it and you know everything that that went on. And I kind of said after after that moment, like the Pearl Jam fandom community. It, it, it changed a lot. It was, and we'll get into that, but that, that kind of, that moment definitely was, was very eye opening. 
for all of us. Yeah, I had tickets for Raleigh as well. Yeah. Yeah. So Hampton 2016 will be the show next week, and uh, we hope to see you all there. Let's close this one on out. This may be the end. We're here, but not for much longer. And although we may be parting ways, I miss you already. I miss you always. Hey, where are you listening? Are you listening on Apple? Are you listening on Spotify, SoundCloud? Are you following us on any of those platforms? If you're not, do so. Make sure. Give us a five-star rating. Help us out and help us reach the platform to other people. Because if you do that, then other people will know. And it's just spreading the wealth. So help us out, and hopefully we will give you the content that you desire in the future. So until we do that, we'll see you then. Go read the book.
sucks. Heavy sucks.